Majestic, majestic. So boys and girls, I want you to go to your parents and say, take out your Bibles, take out your Bibles. And especially if you have your new uh, international reader's version adventure Bible for, for kids and for youth, uh, or if you have uh, whatever version of the Bible you have, I want you to open it up because I think it's important for us to look at God's word. Um, and uh, let's look at those words that uh, David Kim led us in worship with. Um, open up to Psalm 19. If you have this Bible with you, then that is on page 673. Psalm 19, Psalm 19. And it's so powerful to to worship God with his creation. Remember last time uh, we, had, uh, we had a guest speaker with us, actually two guest speakers, there was Doc and his friend Justin, and they went, they took us to Athens and in Athens, there were people who were worshiping the sun, the moon and the stars. And, and there was a statue there saying, this God is unknowable to, to, to an unknown God and people were very dejected, very disturbed. And that is the context in which Paul, the leader of the early church, preached the gospel. Um, so Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies show that his hands created them. They are not gods. Other religions use those things, those creations, to do bad things to others as they worship them. And it goes on to say, day after day, they speak about it. Night after night, they make it known. But they don't speak or use words. No, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into the whole earth. Their words go out from one end of the world to another. God has set a tent in the heavens for the sun. The sun is like a groom leaving the room of his wedding night. The sun is like the, a great runner who takes delight in running the race. It rises at one end of the heavens, then it moves across the other end. Everything enjoys its warmth and all of creation glorifies God. And we are here worshiping God because all God's creation is worshiping him. And we join with the birds in the sky, the plants that God has created, the planets that God has created. Everything praises God and we worship him. That's what we're doing today. And then of course, the rest of the Psalm then goes on to say about the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. It gives us new strength. The laws of the Lord can be trusted. They make childish people wise. That's where we go to gain wisdom so that we would all together worship God. And that's what we are doing today. So would you join me in prayer? And just thank God for this time. I want you to Hold the hands of your parents and, and your, uh, the young people who are around you, whoever is around you, just hold their hands. That's okay, you're in family together. You can do that. 
Um, and let's pray and thank God. Lord, we come before you today to worship you. This is a time of worship. And we worship you with the, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the planets that you have created. And as I look out into, into outside my window to the sky, that blue sky, and the clouds, and the trees, and the birds, and the creepy crawlies, and the animals, everyone is praising you, O oh God. And so we worship you today. Hear our worship. Hear our worship, O oh Lord, and may we listen to your word, your voice, as we come before you, that we may know what it is to worship you, that we may know what it is to bring about healing into this broken world, because there is this virus, O oh Lord, and it's causing so much panic, so much angst, so much death and disease. Oh Lord, we pray that you would conquer this. We pray that there would be, instead of disease and darkness, there would be light, that we may know your light. So break through and enable us to reach out to this broken world as a church community together. In the name of the risen Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So church, we have been going through um, uh, the, the, the core values of, of Redeemer Life, the core values of Redeemer Life. Uh, I am the interim teaching pastor of Redeemer Life Church, for those of you who are visitors, um, and, and we will Pretty soon be getting someone that will be leading the church. Until then, it's my responsibility to, to go back to the core values that is from the Bible so that we would know who we are as Redeemer Life Church. And as a new pastor comes in, hand over the church to the new pastor so that Redeemer Life would go and, and live out these, these values. So I'm going to try and see if I can uh, put this up on, uh, on, on the screen here as I share the screen for a moment. So here it is. Uh, I'm sharing it. And uh, let me see if I can put this up. And um, I know you're seeing mountains there. That's the Himalayas, by the way. Um, uh, and um, so here I go. I want to share this slide with you. What is Redeemer Life? The mission statement of Redeemer Life is Redeemer Life desires to bring the life-changing realities of the gospel. What is the realities of the gospel as we worship God to Lake County and beyond to Chicago and the rest of the world to Korea and all over the world as we go as experienced in every facet of our lives? every facet as spiritual beings, as mental beings, and as emotional beings, as physical beings. And this can only be found in the Redeemer, Jesus the Christ, our Lord and our God. And then of course, how do we do this? These are the four core values. I want us to keep that in mind over and over again. What is it? 
we go into a broken world, a world that is so taken up with this horrible virus now. But then there's also spiritual, social, uh, all kinds of brokenness in the world. The gospel isn't for those whose lives are all together, but for those whose lives are messy and imperfect. That's where we go. And then we realize that we are broken people. To do what? To form a community. The gospel creates a diverse new community of people whose lives are being transformed by grace. That's how it happens. We are all in the process of being transformed. We go to the world around us and say, come join us. Look, we are experiencing transformation every day. Come join us so that we can be transformed together into a community. The third core value is authenticity. The gospel removes the masks that we often hide behind and allows us to be truly free in every area of our lives. And that is very crucial. That's who Redeemer Life is. It's an authentic community. We, we, we take off our masks so that people would see how we have our weaknesses, but God enables us to overcome those weaknesses and be transformed together. And the fourth core value is to be missional. The gospel calls us to serve our community, both here locally and abroad, globally, through ministries of justice and mercy. Those are the four core values that, that Redeemer Life has from the time it was planted. And my hope is, and my prayer is, that we would live these out so that we would bring about gospel transformation in Vernon Hills, in Libertyville, in Mandalayan, in Chicago, in Colombia, in Africa. That is the mission of Redeemer Life Church. And so my prayer is that I would continue to stand beside you as we grow into this and hand over, hand over to the next person so that the next person, the next pastor who comes would be able to take you to the next stage of the fulfillment of the core values of, of Redeemer Life. Now we have been going through, how did the early church do this? We wanna learn from the early church, right? And so we went through chapter one of the book of Acts, chapter two, chapter three, and there's different phases of the church bringing about these core values into being. Last week, we went through Acts chapter 17, and we saw the brokennesses in, in, the, in this place called Athens. Today, we're going to Acts chapter 18, and in Acts chapter 18, Paul and the early followers of Jesus go into another place. So I want you kids to again look to your parents and say, we need to open our Bibles and open it up to Acts chapter 18. So would you do that? In Acts chapter 18, and I'm reading from the, the, the Adventure Bible, 
the new international readers version, which is so beautiful. It's so, so beautiful because it's written in just simple language. And here's what it says. After this, Paul left Athens. Remember last week he was in Athens and now he's leaving Athens and he's going to Corinth. And he would say to Paul, Paul, what's wrong with you? Why are you going to Corinth? That's the most horrible place in the whole world. What is wrong with you, Paul? Don't you want to go to Chicago? Don't you want to go to Vernon Hills? Don't you want to go to Libertyville where things are fine and there's nice houses and there's balls and there's restaurants and all that? And Paul says, no, I have to go to Corinth. That is the first lesson that I want us to look at. As we look at the early church, it seems so clear to me that the early church, as it went to different parts of the world, went intentionally to the most broken places. We want to think about where is the nice house that we can get? What is the best schooling that we can get for our kids? Where is the nicest church where nice Sunday school takes place and all those kinds of things? That is not what the early church did. They went to the most broken places like Corinth, where horrible things used to happen. Corinth was the capital of of ancient Rome, uh, the ancient Roman province of Acacia. Um, it encompassed uh, Athens and we were in Athens last week. Um, it's a province that included the whole of the territory that's called Peloponnese uh, and uh, the Isthmus. It was on the other side of the Isthmus. Uh, these are all ancient territories of the Roman Empire. The city is also, it was a thriving commercial center, but horrible things used to happen there because it was a city of great immorality. It was a city where people worshiped this goddess called Aphrodite, Aphrodite. It was the place where according to first century historian whose name is Strabo, he says that the temple owned a thousand women that they brought in from different parts of the world to do horrible things to them. The temple of Aphrodite was so rich that it owned thousands and thousands of temple slaves, both men and women, according to ancient historians. And that is the place that Paul and the early disciples of Jesus went to. They intentionally went to the most broken place. And who do they go to? Look at this in Acts chapter 18 and verse two, it says, there he goes to a person, a Jewish person whose name is Aquila and his wife's name is Priscilla. And the emperor Claudius had ordered all Jewish people to leave Rome. They did horrible things to Jewish people and said, you get out of here. They whipped them, they scorned them, they said names to them. These people were completely destroyed. So what is the second thing that the early church did? The, the, in the most broken places, 
Paul and the early church reached out to the most broken people. That is the mission of Redeemer Life Church. It is not to reach out to the who is who of society because they're not even ready to hear the gospel. Who's the one that's ready to hear the gospel? It is the most broken people who've been driven out by the emperors of today's global society, the refugees, the displaced people. That is who we have to reach out to, redeem our life, because that is what the early church did, to reach out to the most broken of the broken people in broken places. That is the very first core value of Redeemer Life. Now, the, another thing that we notice here is that Paul goes and stays with Aquila and Priscilla. Why? Because they were also leather workers. You know, we use the word tent makers and we think, oh, what a nice thing to make tents because they're picnic all the time. That's not what this word is in the Greek language. It is used for the people or the most scorned people in society. These were the lowest of low people because Roman people did not want to deal with dead animals. It was the Jewish people who were given this kind of a trade. Isn't that true of society nowadays also? Who are these people? These are these are immigrants. Who are these people? These are the meat plant workers. Who are these people? These are the people who do the dry cleaning work in Chicago. Who are these people? These are the people who, are the, who, who, who work in the lawn mowing industry of the US suburbs. That's who these people were. In India, actually, when Jewish people came in, they were also called leather workers and, and Indians, Hindus didn't want to live near them because they were dirty people. They were also called tailies. So those are the kinds of people that the early church went to. And Paul acknowledged that he himself was a leather worker. Do you see that? When we associate with people, people who are not regarded as regular people in society, then we tell the rest of the society that we are a part of that community. He was cognizant of the fact that he was also a low level person. And so we are, so we are. And Paul will go on to talk about that as he writes to these people in Corinthians. Briefly, we will go into that. But let's look at another thing. Paul, right through the scriptures, will tell you that he raised up both women and men as leaders. Throughout, in the book of Acts, Priscilla and Aquila were equal partners in the leather business. And they became equal partners with Paul in the ministry. Unfortunately, I think we've done a lot of harm to the church in history because we have relegated women to, oh, all they're worth doing is teaching children. They can never teach adults. 
They can never be pastors. A lot of people have done that, but you don't find that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you have Paul right through talking about women who were equal partners in ministry, in places of honor. I have had so many experiences in life regarding some of these things. One of the, one of the experiences that I remember is, you know, reading the New International Version. Now, this was early 1978, 1979, when I first became a Christian. And I was so excited because I went into this church where I, 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 I brought this New Testament and I said, look at this, this is called the New International Version. And, and there was a family that was coming to this church from the American emb embassy. And he looked at me and he said, oh no, no, this is not the Bible. This is not the Bible. The only Bible that is worth reading is the King James Version. Then another story I remember from the same family is, I had some theological questions because, you know, I was a new Christian and I was sharing with the young people who are my age and his wife, the gentleman's wife. Uh, I said, hey, what about this question? What about that question? And this gentleman just barged in and he looked at his wife with sternness, sternness, with a stern look in his eyes. And he said, this is the church woman. You're not supposed to be talking in the church because according to him, women should not be teaching anyone else in the church. And he shut her up. And I looked at him and I said, what? I'm a new Christian. And this is how I see Christians behave. Well, Paul never did that. And then the fifth thing that we notice here is that Paul spent time with Aquila and Priscilla and he discipled them. Not for three days, not for a week, not just for a month, but he spent almost two years discipling them. That is what discipleship is all about. We think discipleship is meeting a person maybe once a week, maybe once a month or something like that. That is not what Jesus did for three and a half years, 24 hours a day. He spent time with his disciples so that they saw him get up in the morning. They saw him brush his teeth. They saw him interact with everything that happens to a person 24 hours a day. That is discipleship, Redeemer Life. Redeemer, uh, discipleship is not just spending time a half an hour for or maybe once a week or once a month or something like that, Paul spent time, almost two years. And then he wrote letters, two letters. I wanna quickly go into those letters because it says a lot, a lot about Paul's heart for this new group of disciples that he has brought about. You see, when we go into a broken society, then brokenness does not change overnight. Yes, we are saved, but we are also in the process of being saved. We are in the process of being sanctified. And so Paul saw it necessary to keep writing to them. 
even when he had gone away and reminding them of things that he had taught them. So let's look at a couple of things here. So in your Bibles, I want you to turn to, there is a letter called 1 Corinthians. And in your Bible, kids, it's 1,381, page 1,381, where Paul writes to these disciples. He's, he's praying for them all the time, 24 hours. And here's what he says to them. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, brothers and sisters, I make my appeal to you. I do this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask that all of you agree with one another in what you say. I ask that you don't take sides. I ask that you are in complete agreement in all that you think. My brothers and sisters have been told you're arguing with one another. Some people from Chloe's house have told me this. She was another leader of the church. Here's what they have said from this house church. Here is what I mean. One of you says, verse 12, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Peter. And still another says, I follow Christ. Does Christ take sides? Did Paul die on the cross for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And, and so he goes on to write to them, what is wrong with you? Bring this to an end. Why? Because in that broken society, there were charismatic figures, cult, uh, cult personalities. And these cult personalities were people who, who led huge numbers of people. And Paul says, no. It is not Paul, it is not Apollos, it's not anyone else. The only person you should look up to is Christ and Christ alone. And I think Paul will look at our churches today and he'll say, what's wrong with you? All these denominations, the denomination this, denomination that, church this, church that, people go from one church to another and non-Christians look at the Christians and they say, we don't want to be Christians. Look at the church, it's all divided. It's divided into all kinds of denominations and Paul says, bring this to an end. Remember what Jesus said? He prayed and he said, Abba, John 17, I pray that they may be one because it's through them that the world will know the oneness of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May they be one, Abba, just like you and I are one. I think Paul will look at the church today, the modern church, and say, bring this to an end. Stop it. Be one. Be one. And don't say, I follow this mega church pastor or that mega church pastor, because it should all be Christ and Christ alone. Look at what he goes on to say. Let's see this further in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when God chose you. Not many of you can, were considered wise by human standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you belong to important families. 
but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And now you think you're so smart that everyone should look at you and say how smart I am. Look how chosen I am. Look how Christian I am. Look how holy I am. No, God chose the foolish things of the world. That is the underlying factor of this new community called the church. God always chooses the lowest of low people. And then the lowest of low people want to think that they are so high. We are not. We need to be humble, just like Christ was humble. And then as he goes on to write to them, look at some of the other things. I'm going to underline a few things as I go through this. In, Acts, in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he goes on to say this. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual sin among you. I'm told that a man is sleeping with his father's wife. What's wrong with you, he says. You think you can do anything that you want to? Stop it. Stop it. You are dishonoring the name of the Lord. Yes, I know you come from a broken society, but we have to be different from the Corinthian society. What is normal among them should not be normal in the church. And so he goes on to, to say, your, your bragging is not good. And you brag about it. What's wrong with you? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. I tell you that unless your righteousness, your life surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So redeem a life. The world is looking at us. The world is looking at us and examining us. If our ways are not lined up with Christ, then we bring dishonor to the name of Christ. Look at chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Here's another aspect that Paul underlines in brokenness. And this is brokenness in relationships. He says, suppose one of you wants to bring a charge against another believer. Should you take it to ungodly people to be judged? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? That you have quibbling with each other and then you go on to the local courts in Corinth and you say, and you, and you air all your dirty laundry. What is wrong with you, says Paul? Don't do this. Listen to Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to them. Tell them what they did wrong. Keep it between the two of you. Why? Because you are believers in Jesus. And if they listen to you, you have won them back. But what if they won't listen? Then take one or two of the others with you, believers together, talk about it. 
Everything, every matter must be proved by the words of two or three believing witnesses, Jesus goes on to say. But what if they also refuse to listen to the witnesses? Then go to the church and settle things among yourselves in the church because we need to be a healing community, Paul goes on to say, rather than a community that airs its dirty laundry. We spent some time in prayer this morning and we talked about some of these things and we prayed, oh Lord, help us to live holy lives. Oh Lord, help us to be an example of Christ to the world. Yes, we come out of brokenness. Yes, because we come out of brokenness, some of that brokenness does remain within us. But that doesn't mean that we remain there. Paul says, be healed of that. Be transformed of that in an increasing way. How do you do this? How do you bring about transformation? I'm going to fast forward in this letter, 1 Corinthians, to chapter 11. Paul gives them certain criteria of transformation. And what is that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and for those, those of you who have this, a New International Reader's Version, it's on page 1391. Paul goes on to talk about the Lord's Supper. He says it's a good thing that the church comes together. When does the church come together? How does it come together? You come together to fellowship and to eat together. You know, unfortunately, we, have, we are not able to do that now with the COVID-19 situation, with the coronavirus threat, but maybe one of these days we will be able to do that. Let me also say this, that maybe, maybe the future of the church is not mega churches. Maybe the future of the church is small house groups of the kind that Paul established in Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and other parts of the world. That is how the church grew. It did not grow because there was some big mega church where there were thousands of people sitting. That is not church. Church developed in the early church with house churches. Let us talk to our brothers and sisters in China. Why is the church growing rapidly there? It's through house churches. And maybe in the post-COVID-19 society, that is the future of the church, is house churches. But then he goes on to say, yes, it's good you're in house churches, but look at what you're doing. You make a distinction between those who are rich, those who are poor, those who are rich will say, I brought that fruit, I brought that food, I brought this, I brought that, and they want to eat it up, they want to give it to their kids. And those people who are poor, just because they weren't able to bring anything, they go away from church services hungry. Paul says, what is wrong with you? Yes, this is a broken society, but don't do that. And then he goes on to say a part of the church service is communion. That's where the answer rise. Because look at what Jesus did. 
verse 23 of chapter 11. On the night the Lord Jesus was handed over to the enemies, he took bread, he took unleavened bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, it is given for you. It's through the broken body of Christ that a broken society finds healing. That's what we do when we remember Jesus's blood, when we remember Jesus's body, and we say to each other, this is the body of Christ broken for you. We find healing and oneness because Christ our Lord, his body was broken for our sin. Secondly, in Acts 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he goes on to say, it is not those people who are highly educated. It is not those people who are economically high up. Notice this. Everyone has been given charismata of the Holy Spirit. It is not charismatic people who are highly educated or of power, economic power or political power. Everyone has been given gifts of the Holy Spirit and honor that. Some are given the gift of wisdom. Others are given the gift of utterance of knowledge. Others are given the gift of faith. Others are given the gifts of healing. Others are given the gifts of working miracles. People have been given gifts. Those people who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have been given the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has given you gifts and the church that wants to bring about healing in a broken society has to be using those gifts and we need to honor each other. Everyone, we cannot look down on people who we consider to have lower level gifts because there is nothing like lower level gifts. Says Paul, he says, recognize each other's gifts and let people do their gifts. Not just a few people, the whole church. The whole church needs to be involved in this. And then as he goes on, go on further to chapter 13, it is so beautiful. He says, remember this, the greatest gift that everyone has is love. So let me read a little bit here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Suppose I speak in languages of human beings or of angels. If I don't have love, I'm only a sound, loud gong or a noising cymbal. Suppose I have the gift of prophecy. Suppose I can understand all the secrets of God and know everything about him. Suppose I have enough faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing at all. And he goes on to describe all those things. He says, don't brag about your gifts also because the highest thing is love. The three most important things to have are faith, hope, and love, says Paul. But the greatest of them is love. It's cherishing. The greatest is love. 
And that's what we should see and redeem our life as we go on further, my sisters and brothers. It's how much we love each other. Our learning comes to nothing. I mean, oh, Hebrew, Greek, Latin, Aramaic, and hieroglyphics, whatever that I had to learn when I was going through my PhD program, that is nothing. The greatest thing is love. Love one another. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He loved us. And then the fourth thing that Paul goes on to say is, why do we do this? Because our confidence should be in resurrection. And you find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he goes on to say, have that hope. Brothers and sisters, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, I want to remind you of the good news I preached to you. You received it and have put your faith in it because you believe the good news. You're saved, but you must hold firmly to the message I preached to you. If you don't, you have believed it for nothing. For I received, I passed on to you, verse 3, that it is the most important of all. Here is what? Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said he would. He was buried, he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said he would. And that is the ultimate goal of the being of Redeemer Life Church. It is resurrection. Christ rose from the dead. And I know that I will rise from the dead no matter what happens. And I look on to that hope. And because of that hope, I love people. Because of that hope, I reach out to refugees. Because of that hope, I go to broken places and redeem our life goes to broken places. Because of that hope, we reach out to the most broken of broken people like Aquila and Priscilla. Because of that hope, we are cognizant of our own low estate. We may be something we say, no, I am nothing. I am nobody. And then because of that hope, we disciple both women and men. Because of that hope, we don't indulge in the cult of personality. Because of that hope, we don't have any distinctions, caste distinctions, class distinctions, color distinctions, whatever it may be. Because of that hope, we live merely pure lives. Because of that hope, we don't go take cases to the courts and air our dirty laundry. Because of that hope, we have communion. Because Christ's body was broken for our sins. Because of that hope, we honor each other because we all have the gifts of the Holy Spirit and we want that used in Redeemer life. Because of that hope, we realize that the greatest is love. Just like Christ loved us and died for our sins, so must we go into the world around us and love people. And say, I love you because Christ died for me on the cross. Are you willing to say that, Redeemer Life? Are you willing to say that? I want to ask you this question How's your walk? 
there are two very important questions that are asked in the pietistic tradition that is called the covenant church. The first question is, where is it written? Where is it written? Very important. If it is not written in God's word, don't go there. The second question is, how's your walk? Is it like Jesus? When the world looks at us, do they see Jesus? When Paul looked at this new community in Corinth, he did not see Jesus. He must have been so disturbed, so pained. So let me ask you this, my brother, my sister, how's your walk? When the world looks at you, do they see a person who personifies Jesus? Or do they see person just like everyone else in this broken world. If they would say that, would you come before God and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I want to return back to you. I want to be a healed person. Would you pray this prayer with me? Oh Lord, I pray. I pray for my Brothers, my sisters, I pray very specially for that person who's prayed this prayer. That you would heal her brokenness. Heal his brokenness. So that those who are with him or with her in the house, in the workplace, may be able to see the healed Jesus. The healing that Jesus brings to him or to her and may be able to see Jesus. Hear these prayers, O oh Lord, and help us as Redeemer Life to go into the world and bring the healing balm of Jesus in a oh-so-broken society. Use us, O oh Lord, use us. Enable us to have house churches all over where people will come and find healing in the name of Jesus. Brokenness would disappear in the name of Jesus. Transformation would happen in the name of Jesus. So take this community, redeem our life. What a beautiful community. And use this community to bring about gospel healing in the world today. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.